Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. Have you seen that movie 300 uh, about the Spartans and the Persians and all of this? Oh, uh, well, so I've been tempted several times on airplanes and whatnot, but no, I have actually not. <laughs> I have not seen it either. <laughs> but um, Great start. This, the good, good start. There's, yeah, so there's, there's this particular image, though, that I'm extremely familiar with as a software engineer, and it's this uh, Spartan guy uh, in this cape holding a knife and shouting, uh, and there are all these dead Persians behind him. And uh, the the meme is, tonight we test in prod. And prod is production. So tonight we test on our production servers. Oh, so the <laughs> the idea being that this is a, I don't know, a particularly high adrenaline moment, maybe, <laughs> that, yeah. that this yeah. particular character is living through right here. Or, yeah, yeah, and, and maybe the uh, the equivalent for an engineer is uh, either high adrenaline, like, we've got to get this out right now to fix a bug, or it's just, like, I don't feel like testing. Uh, a, another one is we'll do it live, the whole Bill O'Reilly thing. Oh, yeah, I know that one. Yeah, definitely. Do it definitely. live! So today I'm hoping we can talk about how not to do that uh, in the world how of data responsible. science. responsible, yeah. Yes, uh, definitely. You are listening to Linear Digressions. The the trick that I find is that, or the misleading thing, is that sometimes uh, sometimes you know you're doing a bad thing in pushing some code to your production servers and just crossing your fingers that it'll work uh, and risking breaking everything. But sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't know that you're doing that because maybe you don't have enough tests. Yeah, and I think that this is a this is a example where software engineering is probably a little bit farther along than data science and machine learning. Oh, you think and, we write tests? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> when 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 it when the fancy strikes you, um, of course. Yeah, and I think that in fairness to all the data scientists and machine learning experts out there, number one, the field from what I can tell is rapidly professionalizing, and there are a lot of data scientists who are writing code that's that rivals the the code that gets written by software engineers in terms of the the quality and the robustness and the thoughtfulness of the code. Mm-hmm. That having been said, as a person who's trained as a data scientist, let's say, and not as a software engineer, uh, I think there's a lot of stuff that makes that particularly challenging to port over best practices from software engineering without some some forethought into how they're going to line up onto machine learning. And so that's the spirit of the episode that we have today. So this is in particular uh, based off of a paper that was put out some, by some folks uh, over at Google. And the title of that paper is, What's Your ML Test Score? Where ML is for machine learning. Uh, What's Your ML Test Score? Uh, a rubric for ML production systems. So this is supposed to be a guide for people who are responsible for software systems that are based off of machine learning models or that have machine learning models integrated into them. And what are some of the special concerns that you might have in maintaining one of those production systems? Or also in some cases, just like what are some standard best practices that might be obvious to a software engineer, but would not necessarily be obvious to someone who has a machine learning or a data science background? So just to be clear, this is not testing the machine learning algorithm itself it's more testing uh how tested it is it's a little bit more yeah so the algorithms themselves vary often your 
not writing from scratch, although in some cases you could be, but I don't know, speaking for myself here, I do a lot more importing from scikit-learn than I do writing raw algorithms from scratch. Um, mm-hmm. And scikit-learn, as an example, has a lot of test coverage, and I have a fair amount of confidence in, in the code that's written there. Uh, so the code that I would be worried about breaking is not necessarily the algorithm code itself, but it, there's a bunch of other stuff that can break, and that's, that's kind of what we're going to go through, is what are mm-hmm. some of the things that you should be thinking about breaking. So without any further ado, let me just hop right in. The first class of tests that you might want to write is tests that are oriented towards your features and your data. And so this is one of the things that's extra hard for machine learning relative to software engineering, because machine learning and data science systems are not based on just software. They're the interaction between software and the data that you put into it. And in a lot of ways, the data is more important than the software itself. And so you have to think about ways that you can test the data that you're sending in um, and make sure that it's fulfilling the assumptions that are built into like the model that's built around it. So what are some of the things that might fall into this category? So one is that uh, the features that you send into an algorithm are going to have certain distributions to them and that those distributions you should test and make sure that it looks like those distributions are staying roughly the same using something maybe like a Kolmogorov-Smirnoff test or a t-test. Um, making sure that you're, you don't have huge changes in your input data that could cause changes in your output data. Looking at the correlations between the features and the target or correlations between the features themselves. Uh, for some systems, there might be features that you don't want to use because they're too costly to calculate or maybe they're unreliable. And so making sure that those don't act- accidentally sneak into production somehow There are a few other ones here, Um, but the last one, I think this is kind of interesting. Let's say there's a new feature that you want to add to the model. In general, it's, you know, probably better than not that it would be relatively lightweight to try adding a new feature to the model and and deploying that into production if you wanted to. Um, But an interesting question is how long does it take you to do that? Is that a process that takes three weeks to add in a new feature or is your system set up such that you could do that maybe just in a few minutes or in a few hours. Um, And so being thoughtful of all of the different things that are required on the feature and input data end to make sure that everything is running smoothly. Okay, so that seems like a good place to start is uh, tests for the data. The next thing I assume would be the model, which you said is probably already well tested, right? Well, the algorithm might be, but the model can sometimes be a little bit different than the algorithm, if that makes sense. Oh, interesting. How, how uh, actually, it doesn't fully make sense. Sure. So an algorithm might be something like, oh, there's a neural net that if you give it certain inputs, it'll create certain outputs. Uh-huh. But when I'm talking about the model, it can be a little bit bigger than that. Is that like the way that you glue different algorithms together? Yeah. And sometimes the choices of the algorithm itself. So some of the things mm. that I would include under model development might include uh, what is the impact of tunable hyperparameters? Uh, so these are basically configurations of the model themselves. And sometimes even what model do you use in the first place? Maybe you have the choice between something that's fairly simple and something that's really complex, like checking to make sure that if you're using the complex model, uh, hopefully you're getting a better outcome or a more accurate set of predictions or whatever, such that it makes the pain of supporting that complex algorithm worth the investment relative to a simple model. Another thing that's really important is that usually these models themselves, you're going to be training 
them with an eye towards something like the accuracy or the precision or the recall. These are different quality metrics for a model themselves. But usually the reason that you're building this model in the first place is because you're trying to solve some kind of business problem usually. And so it can be really helpful to make sure that improvements in the model have a well-understood propagation to the business metrics that you care about. If your recommendation engine, let's say, gets a little bit better, does that actually mean that people buy more stuff from your website? I hope so. Mm -hmm. Um, But Mm -hmm. testing those relationships is, is important. You can't take that for granted. So are all of these things uh, things that would be run automatically or are the could these also be like uh, workflow things like in the in the software development world we tend to have code review where you know I might write some code and then my coworker will review the code and make sure that I'm sane uh, before we ship it Oh yeah totally uh, and that's one of the bullets here under model development is that models should get code review uh, if you're pushing them to production. And related to that is usually that you're using a version control system like GitHub. Mm, yeah. Or to be more clear, uh, like Git or hosted on something like GitHub or <laughs> yeah. self-hosted. Good catch. That's a good point. Um, you got to be pedantic, th- right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this, that's good. Um, and then another thing here that we've talked about, again, in other episodes is sometimes models can be unfair, especially when they're making decisions about people. They can make uh, oh, recommendations that we're not comfortable with from a social perspective. And so if that's something yeah. that you care about. And it should be. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Then uh, this would be a, a good place to add in some automated checks about what kinds of implicit bias are you worried about? And that there should be some kind of alarm that goes off if it passes a, a threshold that you that you've declared for it. Okay, so we've gone from uh, data to the model, and then we also know that the algorithms themselves probably have good unit tests. So presumably what you do next is you you push it live. Uh, well, if you want to live dangerously. So <laughs> pushing it live <laughs> means that usually implicitly that means that there's a whole infrastructure in which your model is running. Um, mm. So a model doesn't run in isolation, it has to pull in the data and has to push out the results. And that introduces a whole additional set of concerns that you might have testing Mm. around that infrastructure itself. Right, because if those systems break, then it's just as bad as if the model itself broke or if the data had a problem with it or something like that. Or it could even be more catastrophic and and take down your entire system. Yeah, that's right. So this would include things like writing unit tests and integration tests for that whole pipeline, which maybe you can explain what those are a little bit for some of our... uh, yeah. Listeners who don't have as much of a software engineering background. Yeah, in a, in a nutshell, unit tests are tests for units, for small things, right? So maybe, uh, like in, in software development, you would say a unit test is a test for a function or maybe a small portion of a library. Integration test would be the way that those functions are used together to create a larger uh, subsystem or something like that. And like definitions of of these vary a little bit from person to person, from team to team. Uh, But I tend to just think unit tests are the individual tiny components and um, integration tests are larger. And actually there was a a really great gif of, um, you know, when you're leaving airport security, when you've uh, like taken an international flight and you have to go through all of these crazy doors and stuff, which are like super high tech and they're to prevent people from going backwards into mm-hmm. the security areas. 
uh, I saw a gif of the doors that opened to the room got triggered by the doors that you had to, that the little turnstile thing that you had to go through. So someone would walk through the first set of doors would open. They'd walk through the second set of doors. The first set of doors would close. And then the second set of doors would close, triggering the sensor so the first set of doors opened again. And they just created this loop and they would just keep opening and closing and opening and closing. <laughs> and there's a great example of two systems that had their unit tests all worked out, but they never had an integration test because these two pieces, which work perfectly fine on their own, were interfering with each other in a weird way. Oh, God, that's a really good explanation There's, of integration tests. I got to give one more, actually. Okay. Uh, which was someone put, uh, someone put a doorknob, like for one of the doors that you would open, onto a sliding door. <laughs> so the sliding door slides on its own. The doorknob turns on its own. But when you put them together, well, you you put the wrong thing on the wrong thing. And they're just, they don't work. Got it. Yes. So that would be the kind of thing that you would want to catch with a test. <laughs> Sorry, I could talk about this all day. I just no, no, it's great. <laughs> um, a few other things that might fall into machine learning infrastructure, uh, maybe arguably for lack of a better bucket, but uh, there are a few good examples here of tests that you'd have around reproducibility of, of your machine learning pipeline. Like if you run it twice, does it give you the same result both times? Like the answer should be yes, but weird things can happen. Maybe there's like a random seed that's getting set somewhere or like whatever. Comparing uh, Similarly, comparing the output from this version of the model to maybe a the output from the previous version of the model and making sure that nothing crazy changed between those two versions. Um, and then also when you're getting ready to push something into deployment, is there a way that you can put it in a semi-deployment, ideally where you have an environment that has all of the characteristics of it being live, like it's reading real data and it's producing real outputs, but that maybe the entire fire hose is not pointing through the new version of the model. It might only getting be getting 10% of the data or something like this. So you have a little bit of a, a test area. And if something goes wrong, then the damage is limited. So thinking about, okay, let's assume that somehow we built a model that's got a problem with it. That's who knows what the problem is, but we haven't figured it out until this point. Um, is our system set up such that we could figure that out very quickly and limit any uh, fallout that we that you know could happen because of that? Okay, so to recap, we've got our data tests, we've got our algorithm tests, which may already be written and are nice and solid. We've got our model tests, and then we've got all of our infrastructure tests, which uh, allow us to get from our little tested on our machine uh, status into our actual infrastructure and deployed and working. And now it's going. I assume that that means we're done? I think that covers a lot of it, actually. But there's one last section in this paper that's worth talking about. And they call these monitoring tests for ML. So mm -hmm. this is assuming that you're not monkeying around with, uh, you're not monkeying around with the data, you're not monkeying around with the model or the algorithm, your infrastructure is solid, um, that you should probably still have some routine monitoring in place that's just taking, taking the temperature of the system and making sure that nothing crazy is happening. Um, and so this has a lot of overlap with some of the things that we've already talked about, but it's things like if you have assumptions about what are, let's say, the min and max values that certain features can take. You should be checking that uh, as it's in 
production, you should be checking for missing values in your data and for infinities. That can be the sign that something's wrong. Sometimes it's possible that there's slightly different pathways through the code for training examples and for examples that are being where you're scoring them and serving up the predictions. And so making sure that if you send the same example through both sides of through through both pathways through the code that it goes through a similar set of transformations there isn't something that's happening to the training data that doesn't happen to the predicting data or vice versa uh, making sure that the prediction quality continues to be high or that you don't see any sudden jumps in the prediction quality and then also monitoring the health of the system as a whole so making sure that it's uh it has relatively steady um, throughput. So if you can typically do, let's say, serving up 100 predictions per second, uh, and that suddenly dropped down to 20 predictions per second, is there a test that would catch that? Uh, if it's usually you send in a prediction, you send in an example and you get a prediction back in half a second, and all of a sudden that time jumps up to three seconds, is there a test that would catch that? Uh, if typically it takes 100 megabytes of memory for you to load up the model and to make a prediction, and all of a sudden that spikes up to a gigabyte of memory. Or goes know. to zero. <laughs> yeah. Is there is there yeah. a test that would check that? So just all of the things that could uh, potentially be signals that something is wrong, it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to have tests that would tell you instantly what the problem is, but right. that if something starts to go wrong, you should know that something's going wrong. It's your bumpers and your bumper bowling. <laughs> sure, yeah. And so take it all together, hopefully this is this is a pretty comprehensive list of all the tests that you could have. And even for some of the best tested systems in the world, I would bet that none of them have all of these. Uh, but that it does get you a little bit in the mindset of thinking about uh, kind of like, like how sometimes we talk about defensive programming, uh, defensive mm-hmm. machine learning. What are all the things that could go wrong and how would I know that something's going wrong? Yeah, that's a good way to summarize it, I guess. It's the the mentality of, okay, so what could go wrong? And how would I know if something was going wrong? Yep. And so just to editorialize here a little bit, again, I think that this is a a place where software engineering especially has a lot to teach the data science community still. By and large, like I said, a lot of data scientists are getting pretty savvy to all of this, or they're working in teams that have a lot of strong software engineers who think about this stuff routinely. Um, But I think it's generally a sign that data science as a field is maturing and that more and more there's the work of data scientists and machine learning engineers that are going into really important systems that have to work. And so starting to think very seriously and professionally about what it is that means and the responsibilities that you have. And so using things like this paper, or there are lots of other good resources out there to to define what it is that looks like. You know, it occurs to me that this is basically insurance. Do you want to do you want to buy insurance? Uh, of course, insurance comes at the cost of your pocketbook. Testing comes at the cost of your time. But every single time, I can say pretty much without fail, every single time that I decided to write tests for the system that I was working on, whether that was uh, unit tests for smaller modules or larger integration tests, it has always saved me time in the future. Uh, And more than just time, also a lot of frustration. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. 
To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.